Welcome to the Canucks Hour with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drennitz. The game underway with Kurt Fraser dumping the puck into the Calgary zone and tips the Bernie right in front. This is where Vancouver talks Canucks. Ten seconds left. Marcus Nassel to the net. Stop. Scores. Scores. Matt Cook. Cash it in. Messer passes back through the middle for Pedersen off the bench. Took it off a broken stick and scored. Pedersen on the backhand elevates it over Peter Morazic. And the Canucks win. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the Canucks Hour on a Canucks game day. It is Bick Nazar filling in for Jamie Dodd, who takes a uh, well-earned day off. Uh, it is the Canucks Hour with Thomas Trance as well. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from avenuemachinery.ca. Answer what's going on? Oh, not much. Just admiring the machinery of the Canucks power play. <laughs> Call Avenue Machinery to get a PTO net front guy to install at the net front on PP1. That'll yeah. fix it. That'll fix the season. Season saved. Alex Chase on back on PP1, Bic. Yeah. We're ready to go. And uh, more importantly... I'm not actually going to blame the sponsor for no, that. Of By the way, I just want to know... <laughs> Avenue Machinery does not provide that type of machinery. They've more excavators. They've had great analysis <laughs> and great machinery. Yeah, uh, the, the the Canucks and power play, which has uh, had its own struggles and you know gone unnoticed because of how awful the penalty kill has been. <laughs> Look, they, they flat out have not scored. The, yeah. they, they have not scored in nine of the last ten games. So the power play has had their own issues, and because because it's not as visual. Yeah, Drance of. A goal going in again on the penalty kill. We, we honestly have not talked enough about how the, the power play has struggled, but they made some changes today. And as you mentioned, Alex Chason is uh, leading the way on power play one. And you would think, okay, Pedersen, Brock, they're all there. They're not. They're no. not. No. Alex Chason is on power play one. Elias Pedersen is not. No, they have gone. So everyone in this formation is on their shooting side, right? So everyone is on their strong, uh, their weak side, excuse me, their one-timer side. And power play one's lining up. Chase on at the net front. Garland with Miller. both And Miller not in his usual spot either on his downhill side, but both on their one-timer sides with Horvat and Hughes up top. And then PP2, you've got Quinn Hughes, or sorry, you've got Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser on their shooting sides. They are working with... Oh, you know what, though? Look. Look at this. They've gone back to their normal formation. Well, this is the five-on-three. Ah, okay. So the five-on-three yeah. formation will remain the same. Yes. Good. That's a good note. The uh, so, But power play two will have Hoaglander in the bumper, Pearson at the net front, of course, Pedersen and Besser on their shooting sides at the flanks, and OEL up top. Why does JT Miller never play the net front? I, think he's, I don't think he's spent more than a minute or two in that spot all season. It feels like the most obvious solution. And it's just one they refuse to try. And when he first arrived, like I'm thinking back to the preseason. And a preseason is not something totally. to, to take stock in, obviously. But he did play the net front in preseason. Yeah. And it looked structurally, oh, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. And there's such an insistence on having that right-handed shot being net front. I don't understand it. No, me neither. And they're not getting the pass up to Bo Horvat anyway through Alex Chason. Yes. Like, I know they love that set play, and it does look cool when they pull it off, but I don't think they've scored a goal with it. I, I don't understand why you can't just invert it and, say, put JT Miller on the other side, 
and put a right-handed shot in the bumper. Yeah, it, it, it's the it's, it's you're, you're just advocating for Besser in the bumper. It's, we it's all know concept. we all know your bit babe. for sure. No, no, for sure. <laughs> but it's the same concept. If, if you're that dedicated to having a specific hand at net front, how about Garland? He played there in Arizona. You How about do, Garland? You can do so many other things. But your PTO guy <laughs> yeah. is the, yeah. The, it's it's wild. Is Alex Chase on? But I, again, I also love your formulation, it. though. That like it's like my it's my high school report card. You know, it's like no one no one's paying attention to my D in shop because of my F and PE. Right. No, <laughs> that's, it's true. that's the Canucks power play. Right. The power play also is bad. It's just not a historic train wreck the way the penalty kill is, and thus has been far too infrequently remarked on. Seeing these new combinations, though, and just thinking about all the different combinations that have played for the Canucks at 5-on-4 this season, JT Miller and Connor Garland should should absolutely 100%, 10 times out of 10, be given a look at the net front before we go back to the Alex Chason as a backboard experiment that has not worked at for, for even a second for the Canucks at any point this season. That's what's so frustrating, too. And we did come into the season of saying, hey, there's so many more uh, players, uh, forwards on this team and capable forwards on this team. And the options for Travis Green were going to be so plentiful. And to be fair, he's tried so many different things, but one of them keeps persisting is Alex Chason being net front on power play one. Like, that's the confusing bit is of all these options – the, the, the one to me that should not have stayed on is Alex Chason being net front. And, you know, you mentioned Tanner Pearson, his natural spot. Alex Chason finds himself in this natural spot again, being net front, and it's more so just on power play one. It, it's, yeah. It, it feels like and this whole week has been an organization searching for answers. It feels like another, oh, let's try this thing, and maybe it works, and maybe it doesn't. Another hope bet. Another hope bet yeah. from an organization, you know. I mean, searching for answers, but fundamentally, what does that imply? Having none of them, right? Like that's, yeah. you know, and, and I sort of, I talked about this a little bit earlier uh, in, in one of my other media hits, but it's as I've reflected on what Jim Benning said yesterday, you know, the, the main thing, the main takeaway that I'm left with is, you know, the energy, the lack of answers, uh, the inconsistency, you know, more than anything, Jim Benning's presser reflected what it's like to watch this team play. And that has to be one of the mm-hmm. biggest concerns going for this organization. Want to get to a really good text from the 650-650 inbox. Unfortunately, it's unsigned. So to rip off Halford and Bruff, it is uh, from Garrison at uh, Gary. Uh, the less Miller handles the puck on the power play, the better. Put him at the net front and let him toss guys like he did Kadri. At least that would give us, like, you know, some West Coast Express nostalgia right. to lean into. Like, oh, it's like the Todd Bertuzzi move. Like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I actually completely agree with this. It's why I like Miller better on the wing than at center, which, mm-hmm. you know, he, it looks like he'll be playing center tonight as opposed to on the wing. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I like Miller when he's being instinctive out there. I, I, think, yeah. I think the less time you give him to think, the faster the game moves, the more he relies on, you know, per- world-class – instincts, um, the better he's served, the better the team is served. The, the way he started his Canucks tenure, when he did handle the puck, especially at 5-on-5, five five, he would drag guys around the ice. He, he would take them in the offensive zone, but you see it in, in, in the power play time when, when he has to handle for a lot of stretches. The decision-making is not fast enough, and, and, and that's what we're talking about for, for instinctive. Mm-hmm. It's, okay, I'll come downhill on his, on his strong side, 
but it seems like he gets caught between too many decisions. Yeah, I think and then right. it, it just winds up being, well, how do I spin this back to Quinn Hughes to do this inefficient twirl pass? Yeah, that's often wayward, and everything slows down all right. over again. And to and, get that puck across to Pedersen, and, and then PD rejects the shot anyway. Yeah. It's like ah, not quite. Yeah, uh, like yeah, no, it, it's. Well, and you know what? That's a problem more generally than than Miller, too, right? Like, one thing that doesn't work when the Canucks have tried their downhill sides with Pedersen and Besser is that they don't move the puck quickly enough, mm-hmm. right? Like, the way that you make a downhill sides, two, two strong side shooters um, power play work is that they have to move the puck so fast, you get that cross-seam motion, and then you're taking wrist shots at a goalie who's resetting their position, and then you're cooking with oil. The Canucks just don't move the puck side to side quickly enough, and, and the way that their formation works with JT Miller handling the puck, uh, as he typically does but won't tonight, um, you don't have enough high-low motion, largely for the reasons that you're outlining, that, that his decision-making is a little bit too slow, and then you just don't get that high-low stuff, which, again, goalies hate because yeah. you're, you're resetting for sure when you're handling the shot. Especially when no one is skating, too. And, and, you, can't, <laughs> and, and you can't create... Yeah. Like, you, you, you can't create parts of the ice to access... And, and create new skating lanes. It's everyone's stationary, and when you have guys coming downhill, when, when they're already in motion, if you have to make a pass, you're already in motion. Mm-hmm. You're going to occupy space and open up space for someone else, and that's the part that's so puzzling on this power play so often. Uh, it was said to me, uh, camera who said it to me, but uh, based on when, when JT Miller's on a shooting side, which we'll see tonight, again, Canucks play the Jets at 7 o'clock tonight here on Sportsnet 650, we'll see him in, in his one-timer spot. With the frequency in which he does shoot from that spot, because he, he is a willing shooter, unlike Elias Pettersson. Yeah. Is that the best one-timer option the Canucks have? Just because he's willing to just fire he's a away. guy? Yeah. Forces some some um, defenders to respect it and then opens up Horvat mm-hmm. the bumper, yeah. which is To be crucial. fair, he's got a really good one-timer. He's got a really good one-timer. Elias Pettersson's is probably a bit more accurate, yeah. but JT Miller will fire it away. A classic JT Miller practice sequence we saw during their power play drill. He... Uh, Quinn Hughes shoots the puck in Tyler Mott. So Tyler Mott's, like, famous for, infamous, in fact, for being, like, full tilt guy at practice no matter what. There, there, was a, there was a sequence I'd heard about earlier in the season where Power Play 1 was still trying to sort of figure it out and Mott was working his way back for, from injury and he was sort of filling in on the PK. He's buzzing around. Everyone's, like, getting frustrated because they're just trying to iron out their game. Like, he's that guy. So he blocks the Quinn Hughes shot at the point and JT Miller says, like, that a boy, Motter. Like, it's JT Miller praising him as... Hughes recovers the puck and quickly sends the pass over to Miller. Miller rips the one-timer past Thatcher Demko's, um, you know, like left ear, and then skates over and, and sort of, um, as because Thatcher Demko's sequence working with the power play ended there, skates over and sort of lets Demko hear about it his whole way off the ice. <laughs> Just classic Miller. Uh, I loved that sequence. But, yeah, I mean, look – I don't think this roster is good enough, and I think the focus needs to be there. I think the way that this roster is constructed is so problematic, particularly on the back end, and that's sort of been a reason why, you know, my, my focus anyway, the focus of my analysis has been on on that, on roster construction in particular. But Alex Chase on, on PP1, I do think, shines yeah. a microscope on, on some suboptimal player deployment issues. Uh, 650, 650, if you want to chime in throughout the course of the show, it is the Canucks Hour. Bick Nazar filling in for Jamie Dodd with Thomas Drantz. Uh, people want to call you out, or uh, sorry, call you a pioneer here, uh, Drantz. Uh, I would like to confirm uh, Tom's high school days. We didn't have shop. He, he never took PE, and it was in all <laughs> AP, AP classes. He never showed up, but got... Above 90% on all exams. <laughs> Hashtag pioneer. Yeah, that is 1,000% my buddy, Kieran. 
I, uh, I swear that is my buddy, Karen. They're coming in 650-650. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. So we did mention, hey, the lines, and also power play, too. There was a text earlier. Hey, is, is Hoaglander at least on power play, too? Yeah, he's playing that bumper spot with Pedersen and, and Brock flanking him in their one-timer spots. Pearson in net front, OEL manning things up top. So Hoaglander finds himself on power play, too. As far as the line today, uh, there was a couple of guys in – uh, bottom six white. Again, we, we talked about reduced roles for these two. They're on power play two. Besser and Pedersen find themselves skating with Jason Dickinson. Uh, again, that means Pearson, Ho- Horvat, Hoaglander, but Colson, Miller, Garland. So Miller back at center, as you mentioned, Drance. And then Dickinson, Pedersen, Besser. Make out your top nine at morning skate today for the Vancouver Canucks. Interesting. I mean, I guess. I, 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 I'm not <laughs> sure what this fascination is with both... Dickinson and Miller's usage and how they get rotated so much. It's it's because of Pedersen. It's not about Miller and Dickinson, and it's not about what works best for that line offensively. It's about putting one of your sturdy, reliable defensive players with Elias Pedersen because of the way that that line is scuffling five on five. So fundamentally, it is a reflection of where they think Pedersen's game is as opposed to what they think will work best in terms of you know, providing excitement for fans when they look at the, the line rushes uh, during after morning skate or during the pregame warm-up. And, you know, I don't think that's unreasonable with the way that Pedersen's form for has sure. gone overall. But, you know, I do sort of wonder, like, the Dickinson thing, Dickinson's sort of been miscast here a little bit as, like, a signature third-line center. Like, the guy who's going to drive good defensive results on your third line. Mm-hmm. Can't win draws, right? He's He's... Even when he was a really effective PK option in Dallas, he sort of wasn't a, a big-time draw winner, right? This team He's never been above 48% in his career. He's not a face-off yeah. guy. But, but, and he's done this in Vancouver, too. Like, when, when this club talks about their improved 5-on-5 game, a big part of that is that they now have a real bottom six piece in Dickinson who genuinely and successfully does limit the damage, limit what the Canucks surrender 5-on-5. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's been a huge... Like, especially when you replace Beagle and Sutter, yeah. who, who you know, are good defensive players, but they spend a lot of time defending. They work hard. They work hard, but they spend a lot of time yes. defending. They're not out of position, but they're never not in their zone. I, I bet you people would look at Jason Dickinson and say, oh, he doesn't work hard. But the actual results are way better, yeah. It just indicate suppressing far more in, in your own end. So, so much more. Yes. And so, you know... He, he he is a good five on five option. What I, one thing I'd love to see, one thing that I'd love to see considered is like, what about? And this line sounds awful. People are going to be like, ew, but whatever. Pearson with Dickinson, Miller on the right side. So you've got Miller taking the draws for Dickinson, mm-hmm. and you sick that group as a matchup line, right? And you're not even looking to outscore your opponent. You're just looking for even from that. And then you can go, you know, Horvat, Podkolzin. Uh, Garland, if you want, against second-line competition. And then you can go Pedersen, Besser, Hoaglander against third-line competition. And let me tell you, that line will do damage against third-line competition. Problem is, the problem is, you know, it, it, you might be giving up too much punch at the top of your lineup. But, I mean, sure. but, I mean what else are you going to do? If you're, if you're at a point where Pedersen has to play with Miller and that's not working, or he has to play with Dickinson and we know that's not going to be fun, like we just know that's well, going to result in squandered opportunities, and it's not a good position. Honestly, it's a position to amplify this this market's frustration in Dickinson, right? And to keep Pedersen and Besser lacking in confidence, 
because that line's just not going to finish the way those guys expect to. So you mentioned, hey, it's missing some top-end punch on, on, on your structure there. Mm-hmm. Where's the top-end punch on what we're seeing right now? It's Pearson, Horvat, Hoaglander, put Coles and Miller, Garland, Pedersen, Besser, Dickinson. Is is there top-end punch there? I, no, I don't no, see there's it. Not. You're I, right. I feel like it, it just it's trying to win the attrition battle of saying, hey, our top nine versus your top nine, we'll pick our matchups and we'll see if we can bleed it out and win. When you're already not winning, I'm not sure I can buy into the theory, and this is why I look at a Miller, Pedersen, Besser. If you're going to do the center swap with Miller and Dickinson, explore the ceiling, explore the upside, explore the idea that, Hey, maybe today is they break, they, they break out. I'm not sure you're going to see a breakout from Pedersen or Besser skating next to Jason Dickinson for exactly all the reasons you talk about. Yeah, he can suppress the chances in his own end. Is he going to help? Is he going to help facilitate offense in the other end? Yeah. And if if he's not, well, then we're going to have this whole circus again of, well, Pedersen and Besser did okay in their own end, but boy, he really needs a goal. He really needs a goal. And where's he going to get it if he's not playing power play one? It's just the the, the lines of logic sometimes get a bit. Uh, Circular, <laughs> yeah. and it just you wind up in the same place. Totally, totally, and and you know I do think when you're choosing between bad options, right? It's it's tough to make a good decision, and that's that just feels like where the Canucks are at this point. Um, interesting to see Bo Horvat a lengthy post skate uh, session, gab session with uh, assistant coach Brad Shaw before leaving the ice. That that I mean. Literally did not leave the ice until the moment the Zamboni hit the ice, which is an awfully long time to be out for a morning skate. The Canucks captain having a lengthy tete-a-tete with Vancouver's newest assistant coach. Um, you know, just a, just a small sign of, of frustration and where this group is at. I'd also mention Miller stayed out really late working on that one-timer shot. So I, I do think we'll see a fair bit of that. Um, you know, I mean... It may work. It may work for tonight. It may help the Canucks grind out some points. And, hey, maybe that's what they need to give themselves the space and time to work out of their funk. Sure, whatever. But the fundamental task that this group has, if you're ever going to get back in this race, if you're ever going to get back in this race, is unlocking some confidence from Elias Pettersson. If he's playing just the last 30 seconds of power plays, does that help you in terms of what your overall long-term task is? I don't know. The other thing that's interesting, too, is if it doesn't work, how long is the runway to stick with what we saw, the formations for what we saw today? Because generally speaking, there has been a lack of stick on ideas presented. E- even when we saw Garland in the bumper, Besser on the wing, that got one game. Yeah. And I think they only got one power play at the end of the game in, in that. And it was, there was it those was, practices. They were switching every – before that Edmonton game where they had like three days off, remember? Yeah. They switched it up every practice. And so if we get into the game and the power play, which has struggled, goes over in the first period. Looks like it's struggling. Will it revert back to the five guys we traditionally see? Besser out front, Horvat in the middle, uh, Miller on the wing, Pedersen on the wing, and Hughes up top. I'm just curious, like, the, the staying power of what we saw today. Because th- there has been a lot of machinations from this coaching staff to, to, to change things up yeah. mid-game from what we see in morning skate. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, it's 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 hard to understand. Uh, honestly, today's today's formation, chase on back at PP1 at the net front. The fact that we haven't seen Miller or Garland there, you know, that at, the, at some point it becomes pretty tough to to grasp grapple with perhaps green will address it when he meets with the media in the next 20 minutes or so 
Uh, I won't be there to ask the question, but I can guarantee you that would be my main one. Like, why? Why are we going back to this? Why are you going back to this? Uh, some thoughts coming in uh, in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox uh, on the power play. Bins in Langley uh, texts in, Horvat needs to channel his inner Daniel Sedin. Start presenting himself down low. He can circle with JT Miller with a couple of give-and-goes uh, to open up the slot the way the Sedins used to. Bins in Langley. That's uh, certainly an idea. I'm into it. That, that, again, philosophically, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you have the personnel to pull that off? Like, it's great to say, oh, they should just do what Daniel Sedin <laughs> and Henrik Sedin used to do. You kind of need yeah. Daniel and Henrik to pull that one Rem- off. Remember those two legendary passers who yes. were also some of the best guys at the on the wall in the history of hockey? Mm-hmm. If only they could recreate that, man, would they be cooking with oil. Yeah, yeah. no no question. It does no, make- no question. It does raise an interesting thought, though, of is there a net front role for Bo Horvat? You mentioned JT Miller. It feels like Bo Horvat's got the characteristics as well for that. Totally. Obviously very brave to be in front of the net. Can He's got good hand-eye to tip it. And, you know, one of the things that gets overlooked at times when we talk about guys on the power play, we think skill, skill, you know, toughness in front of the net. Puck retrieval. That's a very important element Huge. to it. Travis Huge. Green highlights it all the time. That's kind of an asset in Bo Horvat's game, and he doesn't get utilized in that net front role. I would. I, I'm. I'm here for Bo Horvat at the. Or for Bo Horvat at the net front. I'm here for Connor Garland at the net front. I think he's competitive enough to pull it off. I'm here for JT Miller at the net front. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that this club hasn't tried, and it makes sense for them to try it out. Hey, did you see those? Someone just tweeted at me, so I want to bring it up. Did you see those timeouts images that were so deceptive? I didn't have a big deal, a problem with it. No, it, there was, it was literally I, nothing. I, I, I talked about it yesterday in the show. Okay, did you get So, I didn't notice it in real time. Yeah. Everyone's sending us the GIF and, and the clip and the, the picture. And the picture, first of all, is two different times. Two different times. The, the, the GIF, or like the, the way the broadcast does it. The, yeah. the broadcast's not doing side-by-side panels. That would be fun, though. I now want that. I, I now, you know, I now, want, I now want the, like, focus cam. Like, give me the yeah. focus cam. Let's 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 do some body language doctor stuff on broadcast. So I didn't comment uh, comment about it on post game because a lot of people were texting about it. Yeah, but again, it's not something I noticed in real time. If if everyone skated away with twenty seconds to go in the timeout, you go, oh, okay, that's a uh, that's totally. a bit odd. But people but were skating away it, following the me- yeah yeah. Plus it, the Avs called the timeout. Yes, the Avs wanted to go over something. Yes. they went over something on a whiteboard, so people were leaning over to see it. You know what I mean? It's like. It's like being like, look how relaxed this family is versus this in their living room, and one's one family's got a movie on, so they're all <laughs> looking at the same thing, and the others like on their phones because they're just chilling, like it, ridiculous, I, just I, absurd. I, I thought it was a, a a weird narrative that started to emerge <laughs> on social media and in our text message <laughs> but, box. But that's such a sign of where we're at, right? Yeah, like, it, it confirms. It, it's it's a visual that confirms what a lot of people feel right now. Right. It's a Rorschach. It's yes. a Rorschach, right? People are just like, oh, man, I see all my disappointment with this team, you know, encapsulated in that out-of-context image. And, look, that wasn't – that wasn't – there are issues. We've literally – Yes. We've re- literally pinpointed deployment issues for 20 minutes. There are issues that are completely fair to criticize uh, the coaching staff of this team, um, you know, for sure. Especially the special teams. Oh goodness! It, it was, but that is not it. It was. It was one of those things because this idea has popped up. Oh, it's, oh, the players have tuned out the coach. I don't believe that. And that was a moment for a lot of fans to say, "Oh, look, confirmation." It, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It just. It really wasn't. Fundamentally, though, fundamentally, and this is why, like, the deployment stuff matters. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the extra two percent matters. No question about it. If you're at ninety-eight percent, 
But the way that this roster is constructed around a pretty skilled group of young players is so far from being cl- good enough, especially on the back end. You know, even the penalty kill, people, people, um, you know, really want me, me especially, but I'm sure you get the same, right? They want us to blast the systems and, you know, on and on. And it's just like, if you build a league-worst defense and then struggle on the PK, you can't be stunned. You cannot then be like, oh, man, if only this coach could get it right. You can't. The way that this defense plays is so far from acceptable. It filters into everything in this club's game. And, you know, I just I just can't get over that. And as we, you know, as I spend hours and hours, as you do as well, I know you're on the radio for like nine hours today, <laughs> right? Yeah. As, as we spend that time talking about this team, like, I, I'm so committed to staying focused on what matters more. And the fact is, is that, you know, even, even PP1 personnel, like, that does matter for sure. There is no reason... One thing I will say, there is no excuse for this team to not have a league average power play at worst. At worst. Even with their top guns not And firing. league average is not even good enough. Like, for this team to actually have success, I'd be they okay. need to be more than just league average on the power play. I'd at least not be crushing them, though, yes. for a league average power play, considering where Pedersen and Besser are at. If Pedersen and Besser were flying, and they had a league average power play, then I'd be super critical. But league average with your best players kind of shaking off rust and not quite going, that to me is like fine. Like I'd be like, okay, whatever. There's no reason with the talent that this roster has that they should be 27th in power play percentage. It's Uh, ridiculous. We'll get into the conversation about uh, roster construction and a couple other things, but the Jets are going to step on the ice here in just a moment. So we do want to preview what the Jets will look like tonight versus the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, if if the Canucks have a, a schedule advantage in this moment, we'll get into it all. Uh, Bick Nazar, Thomas Trance here on the Canucks Hour on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650 on a Canucks game day versus the Winnipeg Jets, Bick Nazar and... Thomas Drance uh, filling in for Jamie Dodd today. He'll uh, be back soon enough. Uh, the Connects Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. Uh, just a lone skater on the ice today uh, as the uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, begin their uh very optional uh, morning skate. Very optional. No, this is this is a classic. <laughs> yeah, get the goalie a, some yeah. work. This is a everyone else. Get your rest after a tough game yesterday. Yeah. in Edmonton and enjoy your RS at the Park Hotel and uh, we'll, we'll and the goalie later. walks over and and gets some ice with the goalie coach and one scratch Nathan Bolia. Yeah. So we go. So it goes. And and look, the Jets played a really wow my. Careful. That was a really good moment for me. It, it, it's the one problem for us guys wearing toques right now. We're totally. The, uh, it's toque cold. Squad, uh, wearing headsets on toques. It's also when you've right got off. a large head. Like <laughs> I've got – so uh, just to let our listeners know because you can't see me, I, I, I sort of was trying to make a point and I leaned back to be super emphatic right. in, in sort of hyping up the Jets tonight. You're as, like as Fat as Joe a, there. Lean back. Yeah, totally. Lean back. <laughs> and, uh, and my headphones completely yeah. fell off my head. Um, the Jets played an emotionally exhausting – game against Edmonton last night like a really good third period a really exciting overtime and they should be 
completely gassed tonight. Like, they should be out of gas tonight. Tank this depleted. Is, yeah, this is a schedule win for the Canucks and a schedule loss for the Jets, just like Anaheim was a schedule loss for the Canucks, right? And And I said that and sort of added that context in, and I always do that, and people are always like, you're too easy on them. And it's like, no, because I'm going to do the same here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the same here. Sometimes I've always had this theory, like 30% of game stories in the NHL can be actually just three lines, like one team was tired, the other was not. Oh, 100%. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's often the game story in a league that has an 82-game season for an incredibly exhausting, difficult sport like hockey. It's just so demanding. So, but, but. The Jets are such a bad matchup for Vancouver. Yeah. They're so much faster. And and especially up front. The Jets' speed up front, the way that fast teams make this Canucks club look sometime, the way that they put the defense on their heels, and, and the way that they sort of pick at what is the weakest point that the Canucks have in their roster construction, which is a slow D that's not smart enough defensively and struggles to move the puck, right? They are built to frustrate and defeat this Vancouver team. And so I'm really curious to see how it plays out. Like, the Canucks really have to avoid falling behind early because what you'll often see is a team fades over the course of a game, right? Like, a a team in Winnipeg's situation will fade. Yeah. If you can get an early lead against a team in Winnipeg's circumstance, you know, then you just have to kill a penalty. <laughs> then you just have to oh. have decent special teams. Oh, brother. Okay. Then you just have to have decent special teams because it's hard to chase a game. Like, your best players have to play more. Yeah. It's hard to do when your tank is empty. It's way easier to hold the lead because you can roll your lineup. You can keep everyone fresh. The Canucks just have to sort of hold the fort early. But, man, I think Winnipeg is well built to specifically expose the flaws of this Canucks roster. Styles make fights, right? And Totally. This is not a fight... The Vancouver Canucks have had any sort of success in no. versus Winnipeg. You know, we, we've we've heard the struggles of hey, when when the Canucks go to Winnipeg, they've had their problems. They've had their problems just playing Winnipeg in general. Uh, and you know, we'll talk about how Winnipeg with the puck can attack Vancouver, but also the inverse is also true. How they defend Vancouver can also be problematic. But let's start with just a how like with their natural speed and Kyle Connor's. Lighting it up right now. He's having a fantastic, fantastic I've got another year. Kyle Connor take. Let's get back to All it. All right. We'll get to that in a second. But it's not just him. It's Ehlers. It's so many other guys. And it's not just that they're fast. They play with so much speed. Everything looks in sync through the neutral zone. That these guys who are already fast are just careening down on top of you. Before you know it, if you're slow-footed, like, hey, the Canucks defense can be and is, you're going to be on your ass real fast. Yeah, Real you fast. Are. Yeah, you are. And, I mean, Ehlers is an incredible player. Mm-hmm. Selected only three picks after Jake Vertanen. The, I mean, Kyle Connor. they, you know what, the other problem that they pose is Lowry and Kopp. Mm-hmm. And Lowry and Kopp sort of roll together. They are exceptional, killing a penalty. I think Canucks fans, by the way, should should give Adam Lowry some uh, some love if he's in the starting lineup for the, uh, for the Bo Horvat assist. Remember when Horvat got blocked the shot in an empty building? Last year, and, yeah. and Lowry like helped him off the yeah. ice. I think I think I think Canucks fans should show some appreciation to Lowry. Um, but I mean, the way that those two go about doing the yeoman's work that needs to be done, while also being skilled enough to punish mistakes and control play, um, you know, that's a really big factor 
for the Canucks to be mindful of here. Uh, it makes the Jets way more imposing than they otherwise should be. And look, the, the last thing is, I was so low on the Jets last year. So low. Crushed them at every moment because I thought they were Hellebuck and some scorers. Right? I thought that's basically what yep. they had. This year with the way Dubois is playing and, uh, and the way that Schmidt and Dylan have fleshed out their defense. Right? I mean... This, for the first time in a long time, is a Jets blue line. Like, for the first time since Bufflin retired, basically, this is a Jets blue line that I think can can do damage. Uh, Brendan Dillon's a really underrated defensive piece. They've freed up Morrissey to not play toughs, which Morrissey should never do. And Morrissey and Schmidt have been super productive. And I know everyone's going to sort of look at Schmidt's production and say, oh my goodness! It's, it's more than just the points. It, 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 but, but it is, but also... Schmidt has 106 PDO over 18 games. Like, this is not a guy who's going to have a 50-point season. No, no, of course not. not. He's just not. So, despite the good start, Schmidt will be hard-pressed to to hit the 50-point mark or something like that. Like, this is not um, a sustainable rate of production from him. But, but, Morrissey and him playing sort of second-pair comp, that is a good look that has given the Jets a gear they absolutely did not have a year ago. I will say, though, the, the Jets got the version of Nate Schmidt that the Canucks were promised. Totally. That's like, correct. Like, that's what's happened here. 100%. Now, the, the the production's a bit overinflated, but we didn't even see that in Vancouver. No, no, we didn't. It, it, it's, it's, he's kind of the Vegas version, maybe obviously a year removed from it. Well, and not playing toughs. That's, yeah. the other, that's the other thing. Schmidt was able to, like, look dynamic offensively in tough minutes in Vegas. Comes to Vancouver, plays the tough minutes. The team's actually okay. In those minutes, Schmidt was better in Vancouver than people realize. Agree, yes. But then he goes to Winnipeg, and now he's even freed from that tough, tough, tough minutes burden. And man, is he playing well! So the the uh, Nate Schmidt revenge game. Well, it's but revenge for who? Like, there's no. It's such a weird thing because like no one in that Canucks room is mad at Nate Schmidt. You know, like they're not yeah. mad at Nate Schmidt because he wanted out. Yeah, but he did want out, and make no mistake about that. But, yeah, so we. Uh... Is it a, who's it a revenge game for? Because it's not like Nate Schmidt sh- should be the one spurred on to to, to win tonight. Should he? I, I, I'm just just to just to dunk on the org. Natural re- revenge game uh, narrative would be that. But I mean, they they facilitated what yes. he wanted. Like, yeah. I, it's a it's a weird one where it's like <laughs> it. He came here, it didn't work out, and yet I don't feel like there's a lot of bad blood on any side. It's just like, yeah, it didn't work out for anyone, and you know you. Didn't like the organization, and that's fine. Uh, what was your Kyle Connor take, people want to know? Oh, my Kyle Connor take, really quick. Watch Kyle Connor tonight. Watch Kyle Connor tonight. And specifically, there's a thing that Kyle Connor is the best at in the NHL. Uh, people talk about the release, and they're not wrong. People talk about the speed, and they're not wrong. But the thing that Kyle Connor does better than anyone else in the game, he, you know, do you remember Ray Allen fighting through screens? Mm-hmm. Like, what made Ray Allen so special wasn't just the shot or the high release point, but it was the way that he got yeah, open. Yeah. Ky- that's Kyle Connor. Kyle Connor is the best, and, the, and, and it's not just that he's the best because he's smart. He works the hardest at finding soft areas of coverage. Mm-hmm. He is the best at getting open in the entire NHL, and that's, that's what really makes him lethal. He is so smart and so good at how he works away from the puck, and he's not even good defensively, so so I want to be clear, in the offensive end, to get open. And I, I do think watching him do that and contrasting it with what we've seen from Elias Pettersson this year 
is probably going to be instructive for Canucks fans, right? One thing that one thing that where, one area that Pedersen struggled this year relative to what we've seen in the past, he's usually so disciplined about just going to the net, and he gets bounces sometimes because he's so disciplined about just playing that simple game in gritty areas and playing with that sort of gumption you need to score those greasy goals. He's getting nothing from the slot. Like I can't even think of the last time that Pedersen had a clean look from the slot in terms of a, sh- of a shot. I do feel like... Kyle- I remember he had that pass to put Coles in in the slot where he's right in front of the net. Yeah, but... but that's not him trying to score a goal. You, you know, like, I just can't think of a shot that he's had from, from you know, b- below the circles. Mm-hmm. Um, watching Kyle Connor work to get open, like, when I, when I feel like I'm going to be ready to say more than, like, well, Pedersen's working, or, you know, at least I saw him anticipating on the forecheck. When, when, I, when I think I'm going to get to a point and be like, Pedersen's back... It's going to be when that part of his game returns, but you're going to see a clinic on it tonight if you want to pay attention to a subtlety in the game. Uh, certainly, if you're going to come and watch the game live, you'll get an even better vantage point of it, but you'll see it on TV too. Watch how that guy works to get open. It is art. Honestly, it's art. It's incredible. My uh, my non-Alex Ovechkin favorite goal scorers for a large stretch of time was Mike Hoffman. Right? My non-Alex Ovechkin. Oh, man. List. You're, you're, you're feeding me catnip. I got Hoffman takes for days. Yes. Now, obviously, hey, he's a bit older, moving out of the NHL slowly here. The last couple of years, the new guy is Kyle Connor for me. For, for me personally. It, it's, like, you think he, Mike Hoffman's out, moving out of the NHL? Well, it, I guess like, he was a PTO guy a year ago. He's not like peak Mike Hoffman anymore is what I'm saying. Like, he's out of his prime, his natural prime. I, yeah. I, still, I still got a lot of time and, and, and love for Mike Hoffman, but he's not – Peak Ottawa Mike Hoffman anymore. Like well, peak Florida Mike Hoffman. Come yeah. on, how also, dare you? Also Florida Mike Hoffman. <laughs> he, he, he just not really the same. He's uh, on pace for he's yeah. on pace for twenty five goals on a, yeah, on a really bad team. Was he not a uh, thirty six? Yeah, yeah, he's thirty six. Yeah. That was in Florida. That was that was that was in Florida. I, 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 I saw that. I always felt his usage <laughs> in Ottawa was never high enough. It wasn't. No, and, and so like he had very productive years, and he should have had more. Kyle Connor's a new guy to me. He was like the prototypical winger. Yeah. Hey, play with some speed. You mentioned he's not good defensively. He's <laughs> he's passable because he's so productive in the other end. He's not like Hoffman, though. No. Hoffman's a DH. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> and so with with speed and for all the things you're talking about, how he gets open. Yeah. And then you add in, by the way, that release that everyone loves to oh, it's so gush good. about. Yeah. That's the, like that's the thing that I pe- I think people don't realize is this is like secretly maybe maybe it's because he plays in Winnipeg. People don't realize how good of a goal scorer this guy is. And no, I know yeah, they non-OV don't. Non-OV division, if you're choosing your favorite goal scorers to watch in the league, and there's so many good ones, obviously. Uh, McDavid obviously scores another beauty uh, oh. last night. I-, I think that was better than the Rangers goal, Th- by that the way. Guy, that, guy, that guy is a knife through butter, yeah. but but only against NHL defenders. It's incredible. I I, I haven't seen anything like McDavid ever. Uh, Bick Nazar, Thomas Trance here on the Canucks Hour. <laughs> how does Dreisaitl have more goals than games played, by it's... the way? Like I was like I was about to I was about I wanted to look I just quickly looked it up because I was like how close is Connor to being in the rocket and it's like oh Drysaitel already has a five goal lead over everybody you know sorry guys it's over <laughs> it's, it's over uh, oh Bick and Thomas Trance here on the Canucks Hour so we talked about how the Jets are going to create offense and pressure Vancouver how do the Canucks intend to generate offense tonight because uh, one thing that I, I you know watching the previous few Jets games they defend the blue line so well. And when, when, when you already have a team that doesn't generate a lot of speed like Vancouver does, it's easier to do. They're, they're going to be more emboldened to hold their ground at the blue line. And not only do they defend it vertically very well, 
width-wise, they're yeah. also very strong. They force you to take long paths to the net. And it, it almost feels like, you know, we talked about styles make fights. Vancouver does have an assistance, uh, insist- insistent of, hey, let's chip it in and let's go get it. Winnipeg's daring you to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, like, how that plays out tonight and how successful Vancouver actually is in trying to do that. Yeah, well, and Vancouver can't generate on the rush, which makes it tough. Like, if you're a team like Winnipeg that's good at holding the fort, that's good at denying entry, um, or that's even moderately good at it, you know, it really helps to get something going vertically. It helps to get some rush going, and rush chances going. And this team generates nothing on the rush, especially against faster defense groups. So, you know, how's Vancouver going to attack on a a hope and a prayer, uh, unfortunately, right? Like... it's going to be really tough for them to unlock things. And, and you know, the one advantage you have, right, in this game in particular, with the schedule fleshing out as it does, is Winnipeg should be, you know, vulnerable, tired. To, you should be able to outman them. You should be able to outman them. I, I, I mean, I don't think the Canucks should adjust their game too much. Like, at some point, you've got to impose your game on other teams, you know, no team adjusts to the Canucks. The Canucks are always adjusting everyone else. Like, I kind of think a tired team coming in, especially if you want to play a grinding game, if you think that suits you, play your game. Play your game. Out, outnumber them. Okay, so the, the Rely on is, them to make mistakes. The question that becomes is, what is the Canucks game? No, right? I know. And, and we've, we've had this conversation so much, and identity gets brought up so often. It's, what is this Canucks team? I, I, is it meant to be heavy and win from the boards in? Is it meant to be, you know, get the puck in deep and have the speed to get there? Because well, they can't do that. They're definitely not heavy. Yeah, it, it, and so you, you, you keep spinning your circles and They're not heavy. They're not fast. Yeah. They, they've got some good hockey players. They've got some smart players. But they're not heavy and they're not fast. So when when Green says we're not a run-and-gun team, right, and everyone's like, but you are. Look at your skill. You are a run-and-gun team. Um, you know, I think he means we can't trade chances. We're not good enough off the rush. We don't have enough speed on the back end to play with teams – you know, coming at us with speed all game and then counterattacking, like that's not how we're going to win. You know, I, I think the Canucks have to be super disciplined, and and sort of that's what he's talking about when he doesn't call them a run and gun team. And you know, I do think the Canucks want to be a team that can grind and work hard and outwork teams, but boy, does that not work when, especially when you can't, like, when you don't have a top six that's consistently generating zone time and a meaningful scoring chance threat at five on five because the spillover effect of that is mammoth, right? The other team's always fresh. Their blue liners always are always fresh. You're you're just behind the eight ball the whole game. And I so I think the Canucks would like to grind opponents down, but you can't grind opponents down without zone time. You cannot do it. And the Canucks just don't have the puck enough. Uh Bick Nazar and Thomas Drance here. So we're we're talking about uh you know, if they can have more skilled players in, in, in a different roster. Uh, Jim Benning kind of finishes up his media availability last night with uh, the People's Show here on Sportsnet 650. Go check out the podcast uh, for the People's Show with Sat, Dan, and Rand Deep uh, if you want to go listen to the full interview. Uh, you know, he mentioned a couple of things that I guess were a bit different than the media availability, but by and large, the, the, the same kind of messaging. Uh, so one thing that stood out to me is kind of an admission of – Boy, we really wish we had had the uh, the Brandon Sutter thing back. Not that they wouldn't have brought him in, but building more insurance for Brandon Sutter, building more insurance for a right-handed shot, and it's just so peculiar because you know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago is if if Brandon Sutter was so important, 
then you should have insurance for that. You should have the idea of like, <laughs> you, you should be aware of. You know what's happened a lot? Brandon Sutter's got hurt, and look, long haul COVID is so different than just a, a shot block and a knee injury. Totally, it's totally different. But if, if this was such an important part of your roster, how is right-handed center not a different priority elsewhere in your organization? They have no options. No options for this. No. And that's completely and wholly unacceptable. Yeah. And and for you to come out here 17 games in the season, so... With hindsight. And, and, say, and say, ah, in hindsight, we would have done things differently. You had the opportunity to do things differently, and you actively did not. Well, and so, I mean, I t- I've, I've talked to some of the... NHLers, the Alberta-based guys who train with Brandon Sutter, right? And and the key thing to know is that this long-haul situation was not something the club could have anticipated in late J- July. That part is fair, right? Yes. He, he was fine one day, or, or he was sort this of... This isn't str- about COVID. But, but he was struggling a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But he was still skating with the group, mm-hmm. and then he decided he'd take a couple days off to see if it got better, and it got worse. And that's sort of how long-haul COVID works, mm-hmm. unpredictably. So, you know... Signing Brandon Sutter when they did and not signing another righty that day, whatever. One thing one thing that sort of makes the hindsight claim a little bit odd, and I wrote this the day after the Canucks got their business done in free agency, like back in late July. Brandon Sutter's cap hit is 1.125. 1.125 is also the maximum amount that you can bury in the American League, right? And that's not designed so that Brandon Sutter could be buried. They love Brandon Sutter. It's designed so that were Brandon Sutter to at any point hit LTI, like say we lived in a world where Louis Erickson was still on the Canucks, but he was playing in Abbotsford because obviously Louis Erickson would be playing in Abbotsford. Although, <laughs> frankly, a lot of people would probably First rather in Arizona. people people would probably rather have him on the power play than Alex <laughs> Chason in this market at this point. Oh, there's an interesting what if. <laughs> Let's not do this. I'm not wow, doing this. Okay. I refuse to do this. Um, with. Even if Louis Erickson had been sent down, you had six million buried in the what would his what would his cap hold in the NHL have been? It would have exactly mirrored Brandon Sutter's, which means you could have even brought up a six million dollar player into the LTI space created by Brandon Sutter's one point one two five. They designed durability insurance into Brandon Sutter's cap hit and didn't have a redundancy plan? Like that's not a fully formed thought. That doesn't make sense at all. And then you go through and and you go through the list of righties that cleared waivers, you know, Dylan Gambrell, uh, Sam Carrick, you know, like there were options, uh, Michael Amadio, that was in season, that was two weeks ago. There have been options for the Canucks to replace some of what Sutter brought, and the club didn't avail themselves of them as late as September and October, and by September or October, they knew that Sutter was going to be slowly working through his 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 medical situation, you know, and totally fairly, Sutter getting back to, you know, uh, a situation where he can resume a level of activity commensurate with not just a professional athlete, but, you know, a, a human being and a, and a dad and a good dude. Um, I mean, obviously that's more important than his availability or, or his impact on the Canucks PK. So hopefully he's back soon. Hopefully he's just back to skating soon, you know, like just just back with the group, yeah. even well before he plays, just because that would mean that you know his quality of life has uh, has gotten to a, a good point. I hear that he has been doing better, which is good. So, uh, you know, overall, as I look at that situation, you cannot blame Sutter, Highmore, and Mott injuries for this club's cataclysmic power play. And I, honestly, I don't know what you can blame for it. It's it's you know, uh, league worst defense core for me is the top line item, but. Certainly, certainly, um, not having a right-handed centerman 
I, I think it's fair to note that not having a lefty that you can put out there, a second lefty other mm-hmm. than Oliver Ekman Larson, pointed that. And then yeah, systems play probably factors into it. I, I've, are you getting a lot? A lot of people are like, the Canucks play a passive box that didn't work in 1978, and it's like the Canucks don't play a passive box. What are people talking about? Oh, oh, on oh. the PK. I mean, they play passively, but not a box. <laughs> I know. It's I'm, like the. Ge- I'm just saying, the like geometry specifically does not look like a box. <laughs> it is not a square. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, the Canucks power play is inexplicably bad, but you know, and and injuries have played a role in it, but not a top line role, and and it's absolutely not fair for the organization to blame injuries at this point. Like Willie D back in 2015 blamed a Brandon Sutter injury for the club missing the playoffs. It's that was tw- that was. It's now almost 2022. It's seven years later. Like, yeah. no one in this market still believes that. The club's made the playoffs once since, and never in an 82-game season. You cannot be pointing to a Sutter injury as the reason for this club's struggle seven years after it still wasn't a credible claim then. And it's certainly complete nonsense now. I, I, honestly, an insult to the market's intelligence. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this one here. We're talking about identity earlier. Uh, Curtis Olin says Canucks identity as a team is to be undisciplined and be extremely passive on the PK. Well, they're not undisciplined. That's not fair. No, they had an undisciplined yes. moment. Yes, against the but the, I mean for the most part this team I mean, has drawn mean, more than they've taken. That could mean undisciplined just in in play as well of you know lapses of concentration and in outside of just taking penalties. Yeah, as far as being undisciplined. But that'll do it for the Canucks Hour, Beck Nazar and Thomas Drance. We'll see what happens tonight versus the Winnipeg Jets uh, on Sportsnet 650 Fun at 7 o'clock. Fun having you today, man. Thank you. I'm happy to fill in, and it's, uh, it's a long day, but uh, thanks for making it entertaining as always. <laughs> uh, you'll be back soon, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens tonight with Batch and Hershey on the call at 7 o'clock uh, here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.